You're listening to the Winter Hughes Podcast with Joe and Eric Hughes. And now, here's the Hughes Brothers. Welcome into the Winter Hughes Podcast. It's a Bay Area sports podcast. I'm your host, Joe Hughes, alongside my brother, Eric Hughes. And Rick, uh, the A's coming out of the All-Star break with some excitement. You know, we still are seeing a team that struggled this season with a bad record, but it's something we've been waiting for for a couple of years, and we're getting to see it now this week. He's calling up a pair of their top prospects, actually three of their top prospects. Tyler Soderstrom, you got Zach Geloff, and Freddie Tarnock all called up, made their uh, A's debut, or their big league debut for Geloff and Soderstrom, and A's debut for Freddie Tarnock. But these are some of the players the A's were counting on for that rebuild. And that's kind of what happens for the A's with, you know, a three or four year window where they're competitive. And then they go into the tank, maybe not as bad as we've seen this season and last year, but that's kind of been their model for, you know, two decades now. And when it does start to get exciting, when you see those players that they're expecting to be pillars of that next kind of rebuild. And in this last model, that was guys like Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Sean Murphy. When those guys came up, it really changed the whole vibe. And this week, it's only been a small sample size. It kind of feels like that's what we're seeing right now with these top guys like Soderstrom and Geloff getting the call up. Great to see them. Uh, I was thinking a lot about last week when you said you were really excited for this uh, kind of draft class and, and more excited than you were for the last group coming up and all that group you just mentioned. And I had been thinking about that pretty much since we talked about it last time and I was kind of in and out. And I remember when Olsen came up, you know, I wasn't a really big fan. I know he was playing in the outfield sometimes, but I just really didn't like his body language. Um, I know I was going to games more because I had like one of the passes and now I'm watching it more on TV. So I didn't get to really see what he was doing in the dugout and things like that. But I just didn't like his body language when he came up, you know, and uh, obviously he turned into Matt Olson and a guy we all uh, love and wish we still had. (laughs) Exactly. And kind of wish we had been building the franchise around. That's something that I've been thinking about. You know, I was always a big Chapman fan. And so to hear that you're more excited about these guys, it's got me kind of excited to see what's going on. I don't like to follow the prospects and this and that. You know, I'm not an aviators fan. I'm 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 following the guys that are in the green and gold, you know, and I know they're part of the system, but I can't get that deep, you know, or or I choose not to. And so I am excited to see these guys. And so we'll we'll see what happens here. I know they both got kind of close to going yard on their their debut game there. So I think it was kind of cool for Geloff that it actually didn't go out and the ball came back, so he got to keep that and you know, still got a nice little knock there. I think what's going to be fun with watching these guys is they've come up in the system together. Geloff and Soderstrom are both A's draft picks. And just like Chapman and Olsen were both A's draft picks, they've come up together rooting for themselves. And kind of the news broke when Zach Geloff posted a picture of him and Tyler Soderstrom uh, arm over arm and just enjoying, you know, coming up together and having this experience together, knowing how highly touted they are. And I heard Vince Catronio talking about it on the television broadcast, I think it was on Saturday, that it mimics Chapman and Olsen even in their personality. Like Matt Chapman was a little bit more outgoing and he would talk a little bit more. You know, Matt Olsen was kind of more go about his business and not as much uh, engaging and, you know, being as outgoing. And you see that a little bit. Zach Geloff has kind of that it factor for a guy that has a lot of talent because we see some guys around the big leagues that have a lot of talent and it's obvious. But 
they don't instill as much confidence in their teammates as they just kind of have that quiet confidence. I want to go out there and do it. And then you and I know from being on teams, even through, you know, the high school level, it's a difference maker when you have a really talented player that also has that kind of gregarious personality that kind of draws people in and they want to be around them. They want to believe in them and they want to see that guy get to the plate. They want to move, you know, they want to move the lineup along. And I think that Zach Geloff brings that kind of intangible quality besides his skills on the baseball team. And it's translated because there's a different energy and a different vibe going around in that A's dugout when you're watching these games, even in a small sample size, there's like, you know, a palpable energy that you can see from some of these guys that have been in those trenches for how bad this season has been. I guess the cloud that kind of hangs over this excitement is the Las Vegas and uh, all that kind of stuff, right? And so that is kind of the thing about, and, and look at Matt Olson, right? Like, he's no longer with the A's and I'm constantly seeing Olsen highlights for the Braves and he's just crushing it over there, right? And so there is that kind of like historic, like, okay, great, they're going to get good and go somewhere else. Just like we were saying for the All-Star game where you still get a little invested going, well, well, that's our guy, right? And so the little cloud that's kind of hanging over and kind of raining on this parade of excitement for, for a fan, I think, is still that Las Vegas move of like, great, these are the new guys that are going to go somewhere else. And right now it feels like that somewhere else is Las Vegas. I know uh, A's fans seem to be split between like, I, I'm not going to believe it until the shovels are in the ground and split between they got the money in Vegas. So it's a done deal. It's a matter of time. So I think uh, it, that kind of clouds it a little bit. You know, it's the same thing that we've talked about before. If the deal gets done in Oakland, then we're all like bought back in so excited and just like, yes, let's get some Geloff jerseys. Let's get some Soderstrom jerseys going. Hopefully we'll have a, a giveaway day and more than the first like 200 people will get it. So, well, let's be honest. I mean, if you're still watching or caring about A's baseball this deep into the season, you know, mm-hmm. you're a fan. And so even with that Vegas stuff looming, if you're still paying attention, you're still going to be excited about Tyler Sodastrom and Zach Galloff, because even before that Vegas cloud that you're talking about rolled in to kind of, you know, add a little bit more to one of the worst seasons we've ever seen in Oakland. These are guys you've been hearing about, you know, they drafted them a few years ago and you've heard about the power potential of Tyler Sodastrom coming up through the minor league system as one of these guys that could be a star, not just a good player, a star. We talked about it uh, a couple weeks ago with the idea that each team gets an all-star now, right? And so not every person that makes the all-star team is maybe necessarily deserving of that all-star spot because of the season that they're having. The last group of players the A's had were all deserving all-stars. You had when Matt Chapman or Matt Olson or Sean Murphy made the all-star team or Chris Bassett, it's because they were at that star level. And you're waiting for that next tier of guys. And some of those prospects that come up, they're not going to be stars. They're going to be solid players, maybe. And you look at some of the guys that the A's had, you know, whether it was an Estuary Ruiz or a Ryan Noda, exciting players, great skill sets. But are they going to maybe reach that star potential? Maybe Ruiz. Um, But these guys are the next tier up. And I think that there is something for when you have that kind of player to be excited about, especially when they're going to be in your jersey. And, you know, as an A's fan, you're right. You do get conditioned to watching these guys come up and then leave for that bigger pond, like you're talking about with Matt Olson or Sean Murphy. But 
you also get to watch some of their best baseball sometimes. Like Eric Chavez, his best baseball was with a member of the Oakland A's. And you never got to see it better. You never got to see Miguel Tejada play better. You never got to see, you know, Jason Giambi play better than what he did when those years happen. And so sometimes those guys leave and they sign those big deals and it, you know, it's not their best baseball because it happened earlier. It's not the case right now with Matt Olson or Sean Murphy because we're seeing their best baseball right now. But that is sometimes the case. And, you know, maybe it's going to be that we get to watch Tyler Soderstrom at least for another year in Oakland. And we're going to see maybe his best baseball. My concern would go to their confidence, right? Because that's something that we've talked about. And we talked about with Brent Rooker and, and uh, just guys in general playing baseball. When the confidence is there, you know, it looks like a big old volleyball coming into the plate. And when the confidence is not there, it looks like it's a little golf ball coming in that you're trying to hit. The up and down of bringing those guys in is that, Hey, what do you got to lose, right? Like the the season, we we're not going to lose anything here. But what you could potentially oh, you're going to lose a lot here. You're going to lose a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like the potential yeah, is you could lose their confidence, right? And that right. they come up and then they go, "Hey, I had my shot, and I just couldn't make it at this level." You know, like my best just wasn't good enough for the top. You know, I I'm a good I'm good for the AAA. I'm a good guy there, but. I tried everything I could and I couldn't cut it. So that is, I I think, something that needs to kind of be watched out for because you don't want guys to come up too early because you're like, we got nothing to lose. And then it just really rocks them mentally, you know? So that would be my concern. Hopefully they've got the right attitude for it. It sounds like they've got a great relationship with each other and they can rely on each other and push each other uh, to hopefully continue and and, uh, develop and get through any slumps together. We do know confidence is a key in this game. So that that is something that I worry about, especially with so many young guys going out there, because you look at it, it was a really good game, that first game of the uh, twin series, and then you lose in the night, you know? And so yeah. then it goes back to what does that clubhouse look like, you know? And I know you've mentioned that uh, these guys bring a lot and there's an energy there, right? But... I just kind of worry about those things, you know, for this team, because I know it, it just has been a tough year. And it's a legitimate concern. I think the A's aren't bringing these guys up with an idea that, hey, you're just going to run out there. We're going to let you lose that confidence. But I think what you watch for is, does a guy look completely overmatched? Does a guy look lost? Does he need more seasoning? And there also is the aspect of if you're coming up through the minor leagues and you're doing it and you're playing really well at that high level, you start to think like, well, how can I not break through? I'm doing everything on my end. I've hit, if you're Tyler Soderstrom, I've already hit 20 home runs in the minor leagues and we're not even a full season in. We have the worst record in baseball in Oakland. They can't use me up there. You know, if you're Zach Geloff, these have one of the worst offenses in baseball. These guys are producing at the minor league level. So your confidence can start to, you know, run into it a little bit like, hey, I'm doing my job. When am I going to get that promotion? Because these guys are hungry to get to that level. And I think if you're the A's, you do watch to make sure that a guy doesn't get overwhelmed. But remember, some of these guys the A's have brought up before. Matt Chapman was a guy who came up, got sent back down. Matt Olson came up, got sent back down. And some of that is going to be, you know, getting that taste and seeing what it's like because that's part of that growth is really experiencing it for the first time and finding out what it's going to take. And then if you go back down, the onus is on those guys to be like, okay, 
well, now I've seen it. Now I know what I need to work on when I'm here to get back there and perform at that level. So that's going to be part of it. There's going to be struggles for these guys. We saw it with some of the guys that are rookies like Ruiz and Noda had those adjustment periods. Brent Rooker had a big adjustment period after that huge month and a half. So that's going to be part of watching these young guys come up and have some early success like we've seen from, you know, Zach Geloff and Soderstrom had his first hits. You know, then they're going to struggle because the league's going to say like, okay, look, that guy can handle the inside pitch. Let's see if he can handle the outside pitch. Let's see if he can handle the breaking ball. And that's going to be part of it. But for the A's, at some point, you've got to take that next step in the rebuild. And it's not going to be one of these things where you can just basically build your team in AAA, bring them all up at once and say, hey, we're ready to go. There's going to be some growing pains. And we saw last year, Shay Langoliers getting called up as the A's top prospect at the end of the season to start cutting his teeth and, you know, get a chance to start getting acclimated to the big league level. And, you know, uh, Mason Miller already showed this year. Yeah. That, you know, you, you can mow him down at AAA and come up and mow him down in the big leagues as well. So, you know, if they can handle it and uh, this team can kind of stick together for a little bit, which, you know, for the A's, that typically doesn't happen. But, yeah, there is an exciting core here. You know, when you start thinking about it, you think about how young these guys are. Um, you, you think about the areas they've been struggling and that they are improving in that. I know Miller came up because pitching was a big challenge. That Twins game, uh, the first one that they lost, they used seven pitchers in that game, but they didn't give up any walks, at least maybe until the ninth. I don't know if Fuji gave up a walk in the ninth. I can't remember. But I know walks were such a problem. So they are picking up. They are improving in different areas. And like you mentioned, the offense has been struggling. So if these guys can pick it up, uh, I think it could be, uh, I think it's got to be a better second half at least, you know? So I, I, I do wonder what, do, what are your predictions for the second half? Is there anything that you can foresee, like maybe the A's not finishing dead last in Major League Baseball or, but I mean, well, only if the Royals finish worse, you know, that, that's what I'm thinking. But would you make that prediction based on the the changes that you've seen? Or do you think it's just uh, not enough or too little too late? We're racing to be the second worst team in baseball. I think it's possible you can get there because the Royals are just as bad. But I think what I'm encouraged for is that the end of each season, these are lost seasons by win loss record. And you want to make sure that it's not a lost season as far as development goes. Last season felt way more lost and I had way less optimism about the future of the team after last season than I did coming into this year. Not that I was expecting the A's to be good, A, and I didn't expect them to be this bad, but you want to make sure that you've established some things. And I think that they have, like Ryan Noda has established himself as an everyday first baseman. You've got Estuary Ruiz has established himself in the, as that base stealing threat. You know, we've got to see a small glimpse of Mason Miller. So, you know, can he stay healthy? That's going to be a question mark. But we've seen that his stuff says that he can be a starting pitcher. Uh, we are seeing Freddie Tarnock for the first time. Can he establish himself? Because last year, you were hoping that Ken Waldachuk was going to have established himself and be a leader in this rotation. And, you know, he's still working through that process. And J.P. Sears is another guy that has established himself. You want to see them continue to build on that. You know, is J.J. Bladé going to wind up taking that next step so that he can be an everyday kind of guy? We don't know yet. You know, he's he's flashed that potential. So I wonder how much would you say guys have established themselves or what does it mean that they've established themselves? Because I saw a stat the other day that said 
in 93 games, they've had 92 different lineups. You think about some of these other teams. Established means that's the everyday player in that position. Right. To have 92 lineups in 93 games, it doesn't seem like anyone's very established. Yeah, but who's in there all the time? Because even if they are doing a different lineup, it could mean that, you know, Ryan Note is leading off this day and then he's hitting second because Ruiz is playing. And so, like, that, that's part of it. But who's playing every day? The three guys that we keep talking about. Ruiz, Noda, and Rooker have established themselves in that lineup. And Rooker, maybe a little less so than Noda and Ruiz. But, you know, maybe we see that confidence that we've been talking about now that he's been an all-star, help him kind of reaffirm what he has been able to show in small sample sizes. And then you're right. After that, it's who's going to be our everyday second baseman. Is Zach Geloff going to be that guy? Is Tyler Soderstrom, where are the A's going to play him long-term? Because... Shea Langoliers has established himself as the catcher right now. Ryan Noda at first base. The other option is DH. Or did the A's start seeing if Tyler Soderstrom can play third base? And you start finding out where these guys are going to play. And I think that that's a big part of it. And you don't want to have everyone be positionless. And speaking of Shea Langoliers, I know that he's your guy. I found something interesting this week I wanted to share with you. Because one of the changes that's coming to the big leagues is the robot umpires, right? That's something that's being tested in the minor leagues right now. Two different systems. One is that the robot umps call every single pitch. And another one that there's a challenge system that the hitter can, you know, tap his head and they challenge it. And you get so many challenges a game on a ball and strike call. That's being tested in the minor leagues to see which system works better. The idea is it's going to bring, you know, more clarity to the strike zone and hopefully a more efficient strike zone, which is good. Because that's an area that Shea Langoliers has struggled with this year. I was following Codify on Twitter. They had this that no catcher in baseball has had more balls called a ball that were in the strike zone than Shea Langoliers. It's over 256 pitches that were in the strike zone that were called a ball. And you see some of that is his pitch framing. Some of it is the A's pitching, which is sometimes finding the strike zone. Even if he's over here, they find the strike zone over here and he's got to move his hand over there and the optics of that not getting the call mm-hmm. has been a problem. But that goes against him in some of these pitching metrics where he's been really good, something we've been talking about. He is elite, among the elite players in runners caught above average trying to steal. He's right there with Sean Murphy. You know, we've been talking about the great throws that he's been making, putting it right there. He's a guy that is primed to benefit from the robo-ump when that pitch that he's not framing well or he's reaching across is now, doesn't matter that the optics didn't look good. If it's in the strike zone, it's a strike. And that is going to benefit him because we've been talking about that transition that he's making, trying to learn all these new pitchers and how to handle that position every day. And if they can take this thing that he's really weak at and make it a strength by him not really having to do anything other than the work he's already putting in, he's got that real star potential for that position going forward in the future. Where do you think the A's go with that? Because I saw Soderstrom already was playing catcher on, I think, his second game up. Yeah. Knowing that with Langoliers came up, they had him splitting time with Murphy, but they clearly also had the intention of trading Murphy. And right. so when you've got Langoliers, who's a young guy that you're still trying to develop, and like you said, 
next year with a rule change may be elite, but the way he's playing right now, over 250 strikes, he's giving up his balls. Is that what you said? Yeah, it's 256 pitches that were in the strike zone that were called a ball. And and the, some of that goes to umpire's discretion, you know. Yeah. So and not the pitchers just, too, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I got you on that. But with them uh, already putting Soderstrom behind the plate and going, you know, hey, we're still trying to figure out where he fits in. But knowing you're still trying to develop Langoliers and that takes away from opportunities for Langoliers. So do you feel like Soderstrom coming up kind of puts Langoliers on a hot seat? Not on a hot seat. I I think that there will be a a change in that he won't maybe catch as many games as he has been where it's kind of been more of a traditional, he's going to catch, you know, four out of every five guys and then, you know, get a day off. But I think you're going to start seeing him maybe DH a little bit more. Uh, getting some chances, uh, and Tyler Soderstrom will probably play first a little bit more. And the A's will try to figure out ways that they can mix and match their lineup in a way that they can maybe deploy guys that aren't starting a little late when it's something that they can find an advantage. We saw that, I think it was the game on Saturday against the Twins, when the A's were down six runs, they worked their way back, they managed to tie the game, and they were looking for an advantage. They had Brent Rooker on the bench that day, and they got a lefty that was on the mound. They decided, well, this is a good time to bring in Brent Rooker. He didn't start that day, but coming in in that big at bat. So if it's Shea Langelier is not starting that day or Tyler Soderstrom, who I think they're going to try to start as much as they can, or say Ryan Noda, when that advantage presents itself later in the game, they won't be afraid to make that move and make that adjustment. And the big thing, you want to make sure, this is going to be Mark Kotze's challenge, you want to make sure... All these young guys, like you're talking about, are getting playing time. Otherwise, it's a waste. They should be down in the minor leagues. If you don't have playing time for them here, it's better for them to get at bats for those young guys, whether it's a Langoliers, a Tyler Soderstrom. You can't do that with Ryan Noda. He's got to stay in the big league roster, and there's no reason to. But, you know, if you're finding that it's a challenge, that's where a move might get made. And the guy that's going to be on the bench more often than not right now is probably going to be a guy like Carlos Perez, unless they're able to find a way to trade him. Because those are the guys that are going to lose at bats. It's going to be Tony Kemp's at second base. It's good because Zach Geloff is going to put uh, Zach Geloff is going to play. It's going to be those veterans losing out to the opportunity for some of these younger guys. Just in the reality of the A's are what twenty five and sixty nine heading into Sunday, and you know it's about developing these guys, and that's where you're going to see the A's look about. Hey, how many veterans do we need for mentorship? And how many are we better off trading away and seeing if we can get even like small pieces or a bullpen piece that's going to be in the minor leagues that can help us in two or three years rather than use a roster spot on a guy like Aletmus Diaz or Tony Kemp right now? So what do you think happens with Aletmus Diaz and Jace Peterson seeing a couple of these younger guys coming up right now? Well, I, I think that those guys are probably, I mean, they have a, they have some deals. They've got long-term deals. They're not signed on a one-year deal. So they're probably not sweating because they're getting paid no matter what. But, you know, you look around baseball, Rick, and it's with these added playoff spots, I think some of these guys are going to be the kind of guys that teams are looking for because outside of the guys that you've heard like a Shohei Otani or maybe a Marcus Stroman that may be those elite level players that can really make a difference in a, you know, a playoff race. I think too many teams are going to be in the mindset that we're in it, that we're competitive. We have a chance to get that playoff spot. So they might not have that big a market. And if you're filling out your roster, you know, maybe you need a veteran infielder that can play multiple spots like a Letmus Diaz 
or Jace Peterson. Maybe you need an, another strong reliever like Trevor May. You know, maybe you need some of these guys and the A's will start looking to move some of those guys or even packaging them together to see what they can get to kind of help add to their own roster. Because that's my prediction is that the A's will try to move at least some of these veterans, whether it's Trevor May or Tony Kemp, even as beloved as he is in Oakland, the A's are going to just start looking around and be like, you know, Tony, we love you. Everything that you've done for this organization, thank you. But it's going to be best for your career if you seek an opportunity, maybe with a veteran team that has a chance to win this year, because we are in the development side and we're not going to be able to offer the same opportunity that we had last year or the year before when we were competitive. And I think that's going to be the next move. But for you, when you're watching these, just curious, as a fan, and and you've been talking about that dark cloud, do you watch for that kind of wow factor? Because you said even like with a guy like Matt Olson, when he came up and you weren't quite kind of impressed with, you know, maybe his body language and everything, but you ultimately, he was able to turn it around with his performance on the field. So what does it take for you to get engaged, to get excited about these guys? At this point for the A's, it's definitely a game by game. Right. And so when you're watching, you're you're just really hoping to watch the team win. And so I did watch that first game in the Minnesota series. Um, and, you know, just a real bummer. Uh, it, it, and I was when Fuji came on, uh, my wife, you know, just wasn't a, a big AJ Puck fan. And Fuji is now her new AJ Puck. <laughs> and when uh, Fuji came on, she got up and she walked out of the room. She was like, this one's over. And I was like, no, he's actually been uh, he's been pretty good. And so then uh, he had the eighth inning, and uh, he did pretty well. And then uh, they go to the ninth, and they brought him back out. And she was like, he's only good for one. Why did they bring him back out? And then that Joey Gallo bomb like that, it, it just reminded me of Billy Koch. When you're throwing that fast, all you got to do is put the bat on it, and that thing is gone. And Fuji does have that that awesome velocity. And then Joey Gallo just put that swing on it, and that was goodbye, no doubter, you know? And so I'm not watching for the level of like, hey, a a coaching aspect, I want to see the players develop. Like, yeah, you do want to see that. But as a fan who's watching for entertainment, which is something we've said over and over throughout this season, I want to see the team win. You know, yeah. like that's the bottom line. They are playing better baseball, though. It, it, like they're losing these games by one run. It's not these games that remember we saw earlier this season when it was like 12 nothing in the third inning. And it was like, why am I going to watch the rest of this? Like they've lost, I think, of their last like 29, 30 games, 15 of them have been decided by one run, which is a little bit more frustrating. But it's also a little bit better baseball. You're watching them be close and still expecting them to lose these games. But it's it's better baseball now than what we saw way earlier in the season. You're right, but so many things have just like piled on the top this yeah. season that it's not really easy to take the lens like hey, they're developing, they're doing that, you know, and like logically, yes, that is a, a great lens to take. They are young players that are developing and they are improving. But as a fan who's watching and who kind of knew this wasn't going to be a good season, who has seen prices increase, who has seen the team, you know, we don't need to keep saying it, all the things that we've seen, and then you're still not winning. It's like, why am I watching? And because that potential, like, yeah, we want to see Geloff. We want to see Soderstrom. uh, We want to see this continued development of Ruiz and Noda and Langoliers. Why? So they can go to Las Vegas? I might as well watch the Aviators. 
you know yeah. <laughs> so i know it's part of the organization but it's like i'm not here watching las vegas baseball i'm here to watch oakland a's baseball that's what i'm watching that's what's in front of me trying to focus on the here and now and the team that i'm watching here and now is losing and you're right it is a lot better but at the end of the day, as a fan that's watching, for they're losing better. They're they're <laughs> losing better. They're not losing as bad, you know. So yeah, you, know, you are seeing that. Uh, I am hopeful. They're not flying. They're still falling. You know, I I'm somebody who keeps swinging between. It's over. I've given up. Whatever. You know, I can't get all the way off because you know, like my kids are uh, still. We want to go to the game. You know, so many people will text me even if like I'm not watching. You know. Yeah. No. I mean, I understand all that. I, I'm I'm curious because that leads us to a good transition. I don't know if you saw the story in the Chronicle that Oakland Mayor Xing Tao met with MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred at the All-Star Game. First time that those two have talked, and part of the reason for that, the A's had asked the mayor not to talk to the commissioner, to just kind of keep their direct dealing, and that was the plan. She agreed to it. They were doing everything behind closed doors in that what was supposed to be a week-long work session to finalize the Howard Terminal project before the A's announced what was the first of multiple land deals in Las Vegas that blew up the whole thing when the A's and Dave Cavill blew up the negotiations with the city and led to their switch towards Las Vegas, or their at least public switch to Las Vegas. And we've heard some commissioner comments that were disingenuous at best about Oakland's involvement and the things that they have done to make funds available, the work that they have done on the $12 billion ballpark project that was the A's idea, that the A's brought to the city and what the city has done, and the way that the commissioner was so callous and kind of dismissing that work is, you know, well, you know, the A's have been trying for 20 years and it's like, okay, let's contextualize that a little bit and let's not, you know, pretend that Dave Cavill and John Fisher have been good partners. So she went, she met with the commissioner, she brought, I don't know if you saw the pictures, she had uh, kind of a rolling thing with these huge packets explaining everything that the city has done. It's all available on the Oakland website. And the idea was just simple. It was just I just wanted to be clear with the commissioner because I heard some misinformation coming from the commissioner that this is what we've done. And, you know, part of it, definitely a dog and pony show because, you know, it might not change anything, but she's done her part as the mayor to be like, I just wanted to be clear with you that maybe the information you've gotten from Dave Cavill and John Fisher is not the full picture. Whatever you guys decide to do, you decide to do, but you're going to do it with the knowledge that this is what Oakland's done and not just from the point of view of two people that are clearly trying to twist this to make it their advantage and rob a community of a team that's been here for decades. Fans, they they keep trying to to pick different metaphors or analogies to kind of describe what things are going on, right? But it's almost like Oakland is the branch of MLB in this area. Imagine if it was all Foot Locker and there was a Foot Locker in Oakland and they're just terrible. They're treating the customers terrible so customers like aren't really going every now and then they do have some good deals so customers come and then they get rid of the deals customers don't come and now Foot Locker's like we're getting rid of this one because you guys don't come here anymore I was just attending your branch because that was the local one right like that's people are, are like hey I'm born in Cleveland 
and I'm an A's fan, you know, like this is your local branch of that business, right? Like it provides a service. The service is entertainment. Yeah, nah. It has been really pure yeah. entertainment. And now the Foot Locker guys pretty much go, well, we're leaving. In some ways, you're like, good riddance, you know? And so that is frustrating to see the mayor come out and do that. And I know I've heard the thing go, well, we know the mayor got in late. And so there's this thing. It kind of gives you a little bit more of that hopium, right? And it kind of does that hopium is what makes you go, come on, Gelliff, come on, Soderstrom, let's keep it going. But then a little bit, you're also like, man, I'm just kind of tired of Foot Locker. I'll go get shoes somewhere else. You know, a little bit, you're like, I'm tired of baseball. There are other sports, you know? So it, it's that's where I am as an A's fan. That partly goes back into answering your last question. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, differentiating from that is like, you're not a fan of the owner. You did. We got into this as A's fans long before John Fisher bought this team. I think that that's a hard thing for the media, some media members that cover this professionally to get that sense that fans of a team are not fans of the ownership on down. Sometimes they that works out. Like if it's the Warriors with Joe Lacob, people have really bought on board because of what he has done as an owner. But long before that guy was the owner, people were Warrior fans. People were A's fans before John Fisher, and they like it their best when they don't have to think about the owner. You know, it's nice to go about your day-to-day and just worry about the team on the field or go as high as maybe the general manager and the decisions with players. You don't want to think about the business. Like you said, it's entertainment. And when you've reached a level where the ownership and the team president, Dave Cavill, have injected themselves into that day-to-day kind of part of like, well, I'm not a fan of you. I'm a fan of this thing that you bought. And I was a fan of it before you bought it. And so it's, you know, a little bit of a sunk cost because do I want to throw out 30 plus years of fandom because the guy that owns the team now and may not own them in five years is, you know, in charge of things right now? And would I come back if there's a different owner? Because what I like is going to this game and being part of this community. And what's going to happen to that community when we don't have that central drawing figure. Think about it a little bit like having a fantasy football league with your college friends. When you're in college, you don't need that fantasy football group to hold you together. You're doing stuff all together, going to parties, hanging out, doing all that. When you finish college and everybody moves across the country and they've got kids and jobs, you need to have that thing that keeps you close together. So like a fantasy football league can still be that one thing you still do together. And that's what a team can be. It can still be that central drawing thing across generations, keeping fathers and sons and daughters, you know, and moms going to games. And you can talk about it. We talked about with our grandmother when she was in her 90s about being a Detroit Tigers fan. And she could list all the players. She listed where they played and talked about going to games. You know, 2006, she was so stoked when the Tigers beat yeah, the I know. I was so yeah. upset. She was so <laughs> stoked. <laughs> but like, that's what can happen with this. And so what happens to that community if the A's leave and go? Because you're right. Some people will maybe stay fans when the team goes to Vegas. Some people won't because that's where the separation is, is I like this team. And I don't care that much. I'd like to not care who the owner is because I'd like them to just go about, you know, being the person who makes a lot of money. And I don't want to know how much money they make from the organization. As long as they are spending enough that the team can be competitive and enjoyable to watch. I don't want to know that you made this much many millions of dollars for doing nothing, but having been born into money and investing it wisely. So going back to fandom, have you started wearing 
A's hats or any A's gear again. Because I know you were saying, like, throw away 30 years of fandom. I was looking at all my A's gear, and I yeah. haven't really gone back to putting it on. You know, uh, I, I put some on for the reverse boycott, but in general, and I've got apparently a collection of A's hats, but I didn't know it was a collection. But now I've actually gone out and bought a non-A's hat, and that's kind of my go-to hat right now. What about you, though? No, I'm looking for like an everyday kind of like non-A's hat. I do have, you know, I've got a lot of A's hats. I got a whole bevy, like there's a whole shelf right over there. You can see them right there. Uh, Looking for some other non-A's or 49ers or uh, even a Warriors hat, just kind of an everyday hat because, you know, sometimes you just want to do your hair. Sometimes it's hot and you want something to, you know, protect you. If I was a cartoon character, you know, they wear the same outfit every single day. I would have just been an A's hat and a red beard every single day. And that would have been my cartoon character outlook. And now I'm like, well, all right, I'm going to start putting on more sunscreen, fewer hats. I'm going to wear sunglasses more and not doing the hat as much. But I am looking for like that every day. I'm going to go check out Last Dive Bar. I know they've got some cool stuff. Maybe they have some like the rock and roll like designs or something like that, or even just a Last Dive Bar hat that I can rock and, you know, still keep my association with the community without representing the team. But I think that might be the next place I look. But yeah. That'll be the next thing I'm checking out for. But this has been the Winter Hughes Podcast. New episodes every Monday. You can find us on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on social media. You can find us at Winter Hughes on Twitter. You can also find me at Vegas Joe Hughes. And we'll talk again next week. Thanks for listening to the Winter Hughes Podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe.